This is an RNZ podcast. Um, we do have obligations as a country to make sure that we're uh, applying, for instance, UN sanctions and so on. And whilst at this stage it's not clear whether what happened here would have fallen within that, there are still reputational issues. Does it pass the sniff test? Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern there at Parliament on Tuesday answering reporters' questions about Air New Zealand doing work for Saudi Arabia. And in the same stand-up, she also said it didn't pass the sniff test. Regardless, it just doesn't pass New Zealand's sniff test. Obviously, this is something that has uh, ramifications for New Zealand, its reputation. It was TVNZ political reporter Benedict Collins who put that bad odour out in public on Monday evening with a scoop about an Air New Zealand subsidiary mending vessels for the Saudi Navy, which has been blockading war-torn Yemen for years, intensifying the misery and suffering of almost everybody there. The brutality of the war in Yemen is something many Kiwis might find hard to stomach. A Saudi-led coalition waging war against Iranian-backed Houthi rebels, civilians killed in their thousands. A Saudi Navy blockade has stopped food and medicine getting into the country, leaving five million people one step away from famine. And the government's majority stake in the airline made this a political issue, not just a corporate one or even a moral one. When first asked about it, shareholding minister Grant Robertson didn't know about all this, calling it an operational matter for Air New Zealand. But the way the airline decided to operate on this raised big questions about its handling of the story. On TVNZ1 News last Monday, host Simon Dello asked Benedict Collins this. Air New Zealand really didn't want the public to know about this, did they, Benedict? Oh, they absolutely did not. For weeks they ignored One News. They refused to answer our questions about what they were up to in Saudi Arabia. It took seven weeks for us just to get that statement that you saw there in that track, and that was only after the government got involved. So all very untidy then, and also a bit surprising considering today's political and media culture. It sounds like Air New Zealand had lots of time to form a response of some kind to something that TVNZ clearly knew about, and to refer it upwards to those who really needed to know, including the Air New Zealand top brass and the Minister of Finance. And at state agencies and enterprises these days, their PR departments are usually on high alert for any surprise that could alarm or irritate political masters. And then, of course, there's Air New Zealand's own interests. This was a public relations time bomb for the airline itself. And on Tuesday night's TVNZ1 News, it looked like a legal problem too, according to Benedict Collins. Kia ora, good evening. An investigation is underway into whether Air New Zealand's been breaking the law by helping the Saudi Arabian military. The company has suspended work on the contract for the Saudi Navy, and airline boss Greg Foran has spent the day apologising. Is it legal what you're doing? That's something we're working through with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade at the moment. That same night, Benedict Collins had this update on the nuts and bolts response from Air New Zealand... They have now made that decision, they've terminated the contract and they've said they're going to send that engine back to the Saudis in pieces. And it's not just that engine that's been well and truly dismantled this past week. On Thursday, TVNZ's Benedict Collins was in the front row when Air New Zealand's top brass appeared before Parliament's Transport Select Committee for the airline's annual review. National MP Mark Mitchell got the first question in to Chief Executive Greg Foran. Why did it take so long for them to answer TVNZ's questions? Yeah, sure. Look, when the inquiry first came through, which was, I think, around about the 10th of December, it was tackled by someone reasonably junior in the communications team. And as they started to talk to the team in gas turbines, the gas turbine teams, 
and the QCOMS team got themselves caught up in the fact that this was done through a third party. And that's not the first time a junior staffer has been cited as the source of a problem that's created bad PR and harsh headlines for a major company or public outfit. Now, before that explanation, in her weekly flipside column for the National Business Review, senior journalist Dita Deboni highlighted what she called Air New Zealand's horrible approach to public relations. As part of what one assumes to be a deliberate management strategy, Air New Zealand comms people have typically been unhelpful, opaque or outright aggressive, unless you were seeking to write glowingly on a new route or in-flight service offerings. Tita Deboni went on to make the point that other Kiwi companies which don't have the profile of Air New Zealand may also be doing business with Saudi Arabia, which they wouldn't necessarily want made public. But the Saudi saga is, of course, far from the first PR problem that Air New Zealand's had to face in what's been a terrible year for airlines all over the world. Post-COVID, the clamour for refunds and rearranged flights meant that thousands of customers have complained about the airline, and much of that's been handled in the media by the airline's chief commercial officer, Cam Wallace. But he left to become the boss of MediaWorks this year and Air New Zealand's corporate communications chief at the time, Anna Cross, followed him there. Now the Saudi deal, which no one wants to own up to now, was done well before the current chief executive, Greg Foran, took over. But with TVNZ's unanswered queries about the deal in the background, the decision to have the boss do a round of interviews last week to mark his first full year in the job was surprising. First up in this PR blitz was News Hub's AM show, where Greg Foran said he had no regrets. Uh, you know, as I reflect back, what a privilege it's been to be able to come back to New Zealand after 25 years and to have this opportunity to work in, you know, what I think is one of the great brands in the world. Yeah, and how is that brand looking? I mean, how many people have you had to lay off in the last 12 months? Well, just over 4,000, and, um, you know, I just want to make a call out to the awesome Air New Zealanders that do a terrific job every day, and also for those who unfortunately have had to leave the business. On Thursday the 4th of February, Morning Report on RNZ National introduced a 10-minute chat with Greg Foran like this. After scaling the peaks of the American corporate landscape, the last 12 months have been a mind-bending change for the chief executive of Air New Zealand, Greg Foran. Mr Foran this week clocked up a year in charge of the national carrier, a period dominated by the devastating impact of COVID-19. The travel industry has been crippled and a scaled down. Air New Zealand continues to burn through cash, but amidst the uncertainty is optimism the company can thrive once again. After that, the Herald's business section ran an interview with Greg Foran the next day, as did Stuff, under the headline, No Regrets, Air New Zealand Boss Says It's Been a Privilege to Lead the Airline Through the COVID-19 Crisis. Now, this article revealed that Greg Foran had to pull flights out of Shanghai due to the COVID outbreak on his first day as the chief executive last year. Indeed, his first ever day in the airline business, full stop. And also, he and his wife had a young child and another one on the way at the time and were renovating a home in Auckland, according to Stuff. And Stuff said the top man also joined staff on the tools from time to time, even serving passengers on flights. And that was one reason Greg Foran even got a mention last week in the online outlet Human Resources Director under the headline Air New Zealand Boss Praises Staff After Toughest Year Ever. So a lot of pretty good PR in all that. But days later, another PR problem cropped up last weekend. Auckland University microbiologist Dr Susie Wiles lashed Air New Zealand for allowing passengers to take their masks off on board for snacks, thereby undermining, she said, the public health messaging. And she also accused them of paying people who've been opposed to New Zealand's elimination strategy. 
Now that was a reference to a new paper by four experts proposing a traffic light system to manage the risk of international air travel as soon as possible. And that was not in fact funded by Air New Zealand as it turns out, but by Auckland International Airport, which also has an obvious vested interest in overseas flights taking off again. And all this certainly appealed to Mike Hosking on News Talk ZB. From our Here We Go Again file, our major airports near New Zealand back in the border discussion this morning. They're backing a model designed by medical experts to help reopen it. Developed over the last six months, published today in the New Zealand Medical Journal, they call it an international standard multi-layered risk-based approach. And it was indeed a case of Here We Go Again. Last July, Mike Hosking was backing a call from the International Air Travel Association, which represents more than 300 airlines, urging New Zealand and other countries not to quarantine travellers. As we speak, people all over Europe are going on holiday, right? It's some of the borders are now largely open. Planes are flying, tickets are being booked, and you can go on holiday. IATA, the aeroplane people, last week issued a warning for countries like ours that if we keep borders shut, we run the risk of being left behind. Now, there's self-interest in that, of course. Uh, They're desperate for planes to fly and normality to return. But for a country like ours, for regions like Central Otago, this is crippling. Well, this summer, Central Otago was still open for domestic business. European holiday hotspots, not so much. The IATA plan involved pre-flight screening and then contact tracing after arrival, but that was it. All the heavy lifting would have to be done by national governments. But six months ago, Mike Hosking told his listeners what was good for the airlines would be good for us all. If the whole world opens to some sort of degree, we've seen what happens. People get on with it. If they want to travel and they can, they will. And if it doesn't include us, then the only losers are us. Well, many people who did get on with their European summer holidays back then also got COVID. Quarantine for returnees was brought in for many countries soon after that, including the UK. The report last week proposing a traffic light system by the four experts contracted by Auckland Airport was actually first prepared in August, which is now more than six months ago and three other experts analysing it for the Science Media Centre this week concluded the scheme wasn't practical and had been overtaken by events since then. But back on ZB, Mike Hosking unequivocally argued that the government, again, should take a lead from the air travel industry and from Australia. Do something productive. If you want to open the borders, listen to the airlines. Do the green, orange and red or whatever the number or numerical system they want to run is. There's plenty of answers. The problem is attitude. And if you look at Morrison, he's got the right attitude. If you look at our government, they don't. But it was Australia, remember, that shut down flights to New Zealand recently after a single case of community transmission here and their own states over there can't even agree on the border restrictions. The federal government in Australia is only promising a week-by-week review of border restrictions based on medical advice and the rollout of vaccines. And last week, the Australian Financial Review reported that Prime Minister Scott Morrison has only said that plans for another 12 months of border restrictions and hotel quarantine rules could be reconsidered. This week, Stuff's political editor Luke Malpass said that our Prime Minister has pushed back a trans-Tasman bubble target because of a lack of clarity in what Australia might do next. And Jacinda Ardern told him... You cannot unscramble the egg. Once borders are open, we have to make sure that we can make it work because it will be damaging economically. If we open, close, open, close, and then permanently shut it. No one wants that. Well, no one except perhaps the people running the airlines, airports and international tourism and those cheerleading for them in the media because of the supposed economic benefits. Last Wednesday, ZB host Kate Hawksby, coincidentally also the partner of Mike Hosking, asked this question on her show. When the borders open back up, 
how many of us will be packing up and waving sayonara to the Kiwi camper van experience and all those family trips to Rotorua and hurling ourselves onto planes again? How many of us are missing airports and crowds and being in foreign places and having international experiences? And Kate Hawksby then answered her own question like this. And mixing that, of course, with a big dose of homegrown pride at how clear of COVID we are, and we've got a bit bit of a winning combination, don't we, that we may not want to undo. I mean, time will tell, obviously, but I do have a sneaky suspicion. Once we get the all clear to go, we'll be storming through those international departure gates in record numbers. Well, that may be so, and if so, the travel industry will certainly be urging them on with the help of friendly voices in the media. But beware the spin coming from them once the vaccine rollout does get rolling.